today on It's Time. The talents and abilities and things that we've learned, he uses those coupled with supernatural gifts, talents, and abilities. I hear the calling, it's time. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going verse by verse through the New Testament book of Acts. So follow along as we join Pastor Mike. in everything that he could do to build a bridge to communicate the gospel. And so whether he's now standing before the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem, or maybe I should say the people in Jerusalem, speaking to them in their hometown dialect Hebrew tongue, or explaining to them that I was once just like you, and I understand your mindset, and I understand your zeal for the law. Paul was always building bridges. You know, there's a lot of people today, even in, even in Christianity, that spend a lot of time blowing bridges up. I'm not saying that there's not a point of no compromise, friends. We, we need to know spiritually where to draw the line. But in other times, there is that place where we need to, to explain to people that If we're going to reach people, we have to see life a little bit through their eyes to know how to communicate to them. That's why Paul says, I become all things to all men that I may win some. Now, that didn't mean that he became a prostitute to minister to prostitutes or a drug addict to minister to drug addicts, but it might mean that he had to go where the drug addicts might have hung out. It might mean that he had to go out of his way from his comfort zone in order to build a a bridge to those that had some understanding of something and how to bring Christ into that picture. Friends, I, I think that's a good way of ministry today. It isn't just walking up and, you know, taking a Bible and whammo, hitting him in the nose, saying, do you want to believe in God? <laughs> Look at you like, wow, where are you from? I've used the illustration before. It's like t- walking up to somebody and Saying, would you like some apple pie? Yes. And you take the pie and you shove it right in their face. Say, how'd you like it? Oh, I didn't like it at all. It's gooey, it's messy, and that was mean of you to do that. But you know, if you take the time and slice it up into slices, you can feed them the whole pie and they'll even ask for more. Now, you gave them the pie either way. It's just sometimes I believe that we need to be a little more sensitive to the Spirit of God in how we do that. So Paul now is, I believe, pouring everything that he is in his heart to communicate, to build bridges. Now, friends, as we know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But because it doesn't always work, doesn't stop me from trying. This is what witnessing is. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, if you go into a town and they receive your message, that's great. And if they don't, shake the dust off your feet and keep walking. 
In other words, don't let somebody's rejection of the gospel paralyze you from ever sharing the gospel again. Because there's nothing more that the devil would like to do that say, hey, see, nobody wants to hear what you have to say because the very next person may hear what you have to say and they'll say, yes, I want to accept Christ. Tell me. Tell me more. Well, understanding that. Said they wouldn't receive your message. Well, it's kind of the same thing that God had told Paul again all along the way that when you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be bound. They didn't believe your message when you left Jerusalem. They're not going to believe your message now that you've come back and trying in some way to build a bridge. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when your blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. (laughs) Wow. This guy was one bad dude. You know what you call this? You call this a conspirator to a crime. You, you see, in, in a lot of states, if, if, if somebody was being murdered and you were sitting there guarding the clothes of those that were murdering, guess what? You're up on death row too. So see, he, he very much was, was a very much a part of this. I was guarding the coats. Kind of Kind of gives you a little bit of an idea of the, um, I don't know, the, the, the culture of the day that <laughs> let's all go kill somebody and we'll pile our coats up over here because we're going to work up a sweat chucking rocks at this person. And so we'll put our coats over here, but we have to have somebody watch the coats because somebody's going to steal them. Or he was to watch the coats to make sure somebody in the crowd who was stoning somebody didn't pick up a really nice coat and leave their old junky one. Or, you know, there's a lot of things that can go into that. But gives you a little bit of an idea that uh, the culture back then was still very much in thievery and things like that in one way or another. Otherwise, he wouldn't have to watch the coats. And then he said to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. That's really what God called him to do was go to the Gentiles. He, God sent Peter to the Jews. Now you'd think the rough, tough, fisherman kind of guy, man's man, well, he'd probably relate more to the, the Gentiles than this Ivy League guy schooled by Gamaliel, knew completely the laws. But no, that isn't what God did. God took Peter and sent him to the Jews, took the Ivy League guy schooled by Gamaliel and sent him to the Gentiles. Why does God do that? I think there's a lot of reasons. I think God endows all of us with certain gifts, talents, and abilities. And I think it's really important and really good and great. Praise God. But I think a lot of times we can begin to rest in our abilities more than being divinely inspired and directed by God. That can be a problem. So I think sometimes what God does is he puts us out of our comfort zone into a place where we're going to be relying upon him. And then the talents and abilities and things that we've learned, he uses those coupled with supernatural gifts, talents, and abilities. But if we stay only where we're comfortable, we never, we never, we never are pressed, you might say, to grow in faith. And, and I believe that this is a lot of times what God does is, is, uh, to press us so we'll trust him. People have often said, why isn't God doing miracles like he did in the New Testament and the Old Testament today? And, 
And I believe it's simply because most of us don't live close enough to the edge to require or to see the power of God because we're still in our comfort zone. Does that mean God doesn't use us in our comfort zone? Yes, he does use us in our comfort zone. But I believe that we kind of short-side ourselves because we say, well, how could God ever do something greater than my abilities will allow me to do? And God says, that's because you're not trusting you. You need to be trusting me. And so then God presses us beyond our natural abilities to do something far superior. Can you imagine, again, now Paul, a strict Pharisee, schooled by Gamaliel, Ivy League guy, knowing he very much reiterates that he knew the law very carefully, so if he knew the law very well, he would know that Gentiles were basically unclean. Now God sends him to people that he feels were repulsive by his own nature. Hmm, (laughs) that's hard, isn't it? In other words, you're going to go to people you really never liked to begin with. And that's where he was most effective. So, depart from here. I will send you to the Gentiles. Very clearly, we see these words in red. Jesus saying, you're to go to the Gentiles. I I wonder if Paul, when he was saying these words, thought, God sent me to the Gentiles, and I am here with all you Jews. I wonder wonder if um, maybe I had a little too much me in this. I don't know. I don't want to judge Paul because I don't know really how God directed him. Again, all I know is the Bible says everywhere he went, right before he went to Jerusalem, they were warning him not to go. And so um, that would have to indicate to me that God was trying to tell him something. But God is bigger than whatever it is we may or may not have done wrong. And if, in fact, Paul shouldn't have gone to the Jews and should have gone to the Gentiles, as we just read right here, then the conclusion would be that God will still deliver Paul from whatever it is that he's in. Well, notice it says, verse 22, and they listened to him until this word. What word was that? The G word. (laughs) The Gentiles. You see, they were considered, they were considered unclean. In fact, if you were downtown Jerusalem, in the marketplace, wind a little windy blowing that day and you had your coat wrapped around you and flap of your coat flipped open and touched a Gentile. Oh, you could tell by the way they were dressed. They weren't orthodox at all. In fact, in Jerusalem, Israel today, you can tell who's orthodox and who's not. But if your coat was to flip open and touch somebody, you needed to go seek forgiveness for that because you were defiled. So, when he said Gentiles, that was the trip word. They listened to him to this word, and then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he's not fit to live. You talk about, you think prejudice today has gone on in our country? Look at the prejudice here. The prejudice here was that he just said, All I wanted to go is tell Gentiles about our God, and away with a fellow he's not fit to live. Well, all of a sudden, now we begin to get a little better understanding about an Old Testament prophet named Jonah. When God told him to go to Nineveh to tell them to repent, this is why he would rather sink than go. He got on the ship going the wrong way, 
to Tarshish. We don't know where Tarshish was. Some people believe it's Spain. Some people believe it actually was England. He just wanted as far away from these guys as he could. And we remember the sea got rough when he was on the boat. They throw everything off the boat, big loss. And they find Jonah down in the belly of the ship sleeping. (laughs) That's kind of the way it is when people that know God and love God aren't doing what God wants them to do. They cause and wreak havoc in everybody else's life. And there's a big loss and things like that. But meanwhile, they're asleep in the bottom of the boat. And the captain of the ship comes down. He says, oh, by the way, arise, O sleeper. If you've got a God, you better call on it because we're going down. And so he comes up and he says, it's me. Throw me overboard. Everything will be fine. The Bible says they rode all the harder to get to shore. It didn't make any difference. Finally, out of desperation, they threw Jonah over. Sea became glass. They said every person on the boat repented. I believe so. Got a bad storm? Throw Jonah in. God said, prepared a big fish for him. Swallowed him up. Cruised around. Some people believe that Jonah actually died in the fish. And God resurrected him when he ralphed him back out on the beach. The fish did. I don't know. It is possible for a person to live inside of a, of a belly of a fish. They've actually found people that have been swallowed by fish and, and uh, catch the fish. And here's the guy. And though he's nearly passed out and all of his skin is eaten off and there's living examples of these people around, um, it happened. The point is, when he went into Nineveh, he wasn't going in there with saying, oh, won't you love God? God really loves you. He come in with a message. 40 days and you're gone. Man, mommy, there's a green man out in the street saying we've had it. <laughs> That's going to be pretty weird. And the Bible says this great city, three days in journey across. You just start walking, it took you three days to get clear across the town. They estimate about one million people, capital of the Assyrian Empire, one of the most wicked, cruel nations that have ever been on this planet. Their treatment of human beings is, is still in the, in the uh, books of history of how mean and cruel. They'd punch a hole through your bottom jaw and then they'd chain you to the guy in front and they'd chain him to the guy in front. When you'd enter a city, there would be a pile of skulls uh, there to strike fear into the people saying, you don't toe the line, you'll be one of the skulls. They'd skin people alive. They were just barbaric. And so when God told Jonah, I'm going to destroy the city, I bet you Jonah said, right on, Baba. Give it to him. Give it to him good. No, I, I want you to go tell him to repent. Huh. Uh-uh. No, no, I want them to be destroyed. That, that's a good idea. And, and God said, go tell him to repent. And so Jonah, again, he, he gets on a boat going the wrong way. So when he goes into the city, I imagine after a three-day belly ride in a, in a fish I imagine, you know, there's people that get kind of angry after, you know, like missing a meal. I can't imagine the message that he delivered in the tone of voice that he did. But the Bible says, beginning with the king on down, they all repented. God spared the city. And for another hundred years, because of what Jonah did, that town was able to continue on. It's the largest recorded revival in the entire Bible, and it was Gentiles not Jews. So Jonah 
was really the first Gentile missionary. Well, notice the prejudice here. I I believe Jonah had that same prejudice. I'm not going to go to those Gentiles. Well, if you get all, you know, if you come out green and get barfed out on the beach by a fish, (laughs) okay, I guess I'll do what you want. Well, they listened to him to this word. Away with this fellow from the earth. He's not fit to live. Just because he was telling people about God and Gentiles about God, you've got to realize, are you overreacting a little bit? Generally speaking, yes, but you'll find zealots don't really put their brain into gear. They just emotionally react, and that's what they're doing here. And as they cried out, they tore off their clothes and threw dust in the air. Wow. Talk about having a tenter tantrum. Verse 24, the commander ordered him to be brought back into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that they might know why they shouted so against him. You see, because he spoke to them in the Hebrew tongue. The Romans evidently didn't understand Hebrew at this point. So he said, what did, what did he say to him to make them react this way? It tells us here that they bound him with tongues. And Paul said to the centurion who stood by, is it lawful for you to scourge a man who is a Roman and uncondemned? Well, first of all, notice it says scourge a man. That's different than being beaten with a rod. And the Bible sometimes talks about being beaten with rods. It also talks about being whipped. But scourging is a completely different thing. A lot of people never survived a scourging. And if you were scourged, usually by the end of it, you were permanently damaged for the rest of your life. Either one of the tongues that had the little bits of broken glass and lead would flip out and put an eye out or rip your nose off or tear an ear off or or lay you open to the point where you'd be infected uh, with infections and things like this. Most people didn't survive a scourging. And so this time Paul uses his legal rights. I think this is important for us as Christians because sometimes we feel that we don't have rights because we're Christians. Paul did use his legal rights, and so this is a place where he said, is it lawful for you to beat a, uh, to scourge a man that has not had a proper trial, is what he said, and is uncondemned. Verse 26, and the centurion heard that. He went and told the commander, saying, take care of what you do. This man's a Roman. Now, wait a minute. He's not really a Roman. We think he's the Egyptian several years ago, remember? that led an insurrection. You see, it's really funny because everybody's getting Paul's identity all messed up here. So the commander comes to him and says, tell me, are you a Roman? And he said, yes. Now, by the way, if you said you were a Roman citizen and you weren't, that carried the death sentence. So you could be put to death by claiming to be something that you weren't because Roman citizens had special rights that other in their occupied territories did not have. And so he says, are you a Roman? And he said, yes. And the commander answered, he said, with a large sum, I obtained this citizenship. He's going, well, I wasn't born a Roman with a large sum of money. I obtained my citizenship. Well, there's something really amazing here. You couldn't buy your Roman citizenship. Well, then how come he said this? Well, there's only one way you could do this. And that was to bribe a government official. That's how he got his citizenship. He bribed somebody to jiggle the books so he would be listed as a Roman citizen. And Paul said, and some people believe that this part that Paul says is actually a little bit of a 
had a little bit of a, a, a cheese ball on it. He goes, yeah, but I was freeborn. I was born a citizen. In other words, for you to have bought your citizenship, you had to bribe somebody to do it. But I was freeborn. Now, that had to bring conviction into this person's life. And, and generally speaking, you would not have gone around telling people that you purchased your citizenship because you couldn't buy it. So what he actually confesses to here, this Roman, he confesses to a crime. He's saying, I, I'm, I, I paid for my citizenship, even though you can't buy it. I paid somebody off for it. Paul goes, yeah, but I was freeborn. Then immediately, those who are about to examine him withdrew. I believe so. First of all, you have a confession of a ranking Roman officer. Second of all, they bound a Roman citizen without being condemned, and they were preparing to scourge him. Kids liked it. And the commander was also afraid after he found out that he was a Roman because he had bound him. Yeah, I bet so. He just armed Paul with a lot of very important information. (laughs) Not only that, but what he was preparing to do for him. So the next day, because he wanted to know for certain why he was accused by the Jews, he released him from his bonds and commanded the chief priests and all their council to appear and brought Paul down and set him before them. Next week, we'll get into this interesting trial that was kind of a kangaroo kind of thing. We'll see this in the next chapter. Understanding, we as Christians use wisdom. I believe it comes down from the Father of Lights. If you lack wisdom in your life tonight as a Christian, pray that God gives you wisdom. And pray that God gives you boldness, that you'll be able to stand and do what God's called you to do. Really, God has, for every one of us, that job that he's put you on this earth for. And you say, but I messed it up. No, you haven't. You you cannot mess up what God's called you to do. It, It might change direction, because of things that maybe we've done or shouldn't have done. But I believe God still ultimately has and knows what he wants you and me to do. Tonight, if you're not a Christian, remember that what's blocking you from your relationship with God is sin. Now, sin doesn't make you a sinner. Sin proves what you are. We we inherited that from Adam and Eve. So, knowing that, Jesus died on the cross to forgive the sin so we could be restored to the Father. No longer through the rules and regulations that the Jews got so angry about Paul over it, but now simply by confession and saying, Father, forgive me. The Bible says we're forgiven. Pretty great deal. But it requires repentance. It doesn't mean, God, you know, forgive me. I'm going to keep living the way I've been living because we know that the way we've been living ain't right. I mean, God's already told you that. So God says, I've got a new deal for you, a new way of living. And that way will change everything you do.
But we have to say, yes, God. See, that's why Jesus died on the cross for you. That's why he rose from the dead. When we look back in our life, we see the cross. That For that reason, Christ died. When we look ahead and what's going to happen in the future, we look at a risen Savior. And see, that sets us free to be what God's called us to be. If you have your past chasing you, you'll never be able to be what God's called you to do because you'll always be scared of the past catching up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. And we ask you tonight that as we read these words that you would continue to remind each one of us you've begun a work. You're going to see us through. And so, God, may your Holy Spirit guide us, direct us, keep us in your love in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse-by-verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening. And tune in next time for It's Time.